The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. At long last, here on August the 9th, we do finally today get to finish up the Central Division. Yeah. Yeah, I had a feeling last week was going to get chewed up with other stuff, and I feel I feel good about it. I hope you guys do as well. It was fun to get into things that were happening in the moment for the first time in a while. We had six episodes of the podcast last week, first time we've done that in a very long time. That's right, we had two. We had the two shows on Monday, then one each on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. This week, we'll get back to five shows a week. I have contemplated going to seven days a week for the month leading up to the season and then like the first two to three weeks of the actual season since that really is the hot zone. That's when you've got all the drafts taking place. That's when you've got the crazy early season guys that pop out of nowhere, the Devontae Grahams two years ago, the slow-mos this year. Guys that just universally went undrafted that pop up fly out of the woodwork first week of the season nobody saw it coming all of a sudden they're just outstanding and it really like if you're not that's during the season that that stuff so if you're not doing a show on saturday which we haven't for many years now it's going to be too late by the time monday comes around i know many of you are in competitive enough leagues where you can't wait that long lord knows i am so maybe we'll have like some short weekend editions, thought about that, maybe throwing that into the mix. And then leading up to the season, I don't know if there's quite as much of a reason to need those weekend shows other than just there's sort of a demand to talk about fantasy basketball, if any news breaks, if there's any ADP shifts. So I make no promises that these are going to be like 45 to 60 minute shows, but I think we'll probably add some, you know, 25-ish minute weekend hits leading up to the season. So maybe like, October and half of November, something like that. This will not be a full-time change. We're not going to seven days a week. I'll lose my mind. Welcome to the show, everybody. It's Fantasy NBA Today. I am your host, Dan Bespris. It's Monday. It is August the 9th. And once again, I've completely lost track of how many shows we've done this offseason. But as is the tradition here on F Fantasy NBA Today, what's the FNBAT? <laughs> Uh, I guess that's if we use NBA as uh, all three letters in a full show, which it should be. It's an acronym, so you should have to do all... So F-N-B-A-T. F-N-B-A-T. Finbat. Today on Finbat, uh, we're not going to roll with that. So let's see. 5, 10, 15 got us to June 4th. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 got us to July 9th. 45, 50, 55, 60. Woo! Show 61! Of the offseason. Oh yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are about three, just shy of three months into the fantasy basketball offseason. We are just shy of two months away from the start of next season. Today we're going to talk about the Indiana Pacers and their fantasy prospects for this coming year. They've obviously made some changes in Indiana. Nate Bjorkren gone, being... Arguably the biggest move for the Pacers this offseason. Rick Carlisle 
coming in from Dallas to take over. And what does that mean for this team? We'll cover that as well. They've they've added some bodies around the fringes. They brought back TJ McConnell. Uh, Doug McDermott ended up in San Antonio. But just from a straight roster construction standpoint, the main pieces that finished last season are still there. And then it's health. That's kind of the one large factor that changes from mid-May of this year to mid-October of this year. Because Miles Turner didn't finish the season healthy. T.J. Warren basically didn't play this last year. I don't know if Jeremy Lamb is ever going to be fully healthy again. Malcolm Brogdon is generally pretty dinged up. Demonis Sabonis, uh, his, his effort level on the floor tends to play him into some injuries. This is a team that does have health to worry about. On an annual basis, I don't think that they're a team that just got unlucky. Karis LeVert missed half the year with cancer, which is just horrifying. Nobody on this team, outside of Justin Holiday, really came close to completing a full season. Okay, that's not totally fair. TJ McConnell played 69 games this year. And it's good to have him back. He's a pretty durable basketball player. And then Doug McDermott was at 66, and then you kind of work your way down the board. But in terms of the impact guys... Frankly, the starters, was Justin Holiday going to be a starter if this team was healthy? I don't really know. He started for most of the season. But in terms of the big-name guys, Miles Turner, 47 games. Malcolm Brogdon, 56. Karis LeVert, 47. Yes, midseason trade. I know, you don't have to remind me of that. TJ Warren, four. Four games this year. Which... It creates this very odd scenario for us, the fantasy handicappers, which is this is a team that didn't have significant roster turnover, but yet, fantasy-wise, this coming season could actually look really, really different because we just really didn't see the Pacers as they are meant to be built. These players were all on the team this last year, but they didn't play together. T.J. Warren missing the entire season pretty much detonates that idea within the first week of the year. I got suckered into that one. Really upset about it. By the way, I think T.J. Warren might be the most irritating fantasy pick for me this year. I ended up with him only in one place. So the fact that I feel as irritated as I do is perhaps a... uh, had of an overreaction considering what I, I think I have six money leagues that are all daily I can't it's hard for me I know there are folks out there Brew's got like 25 leagues going I know our buddy Jonas Nader has like 40 pro leagues going I can't do it because every single one of my leagues is daily if it was a weekly thing it'd be a little bit different you make your moves every day but you don't have to worry about setting your lineup every single day all that good stuff these are daily leagues with roster caps and the roto leagues it's it's a it's a whole thing so I can't add leagues as fast as other analysts and i'm okay with that regardless the tj warren thing all through the lead up this last off season if you can even call it that this uh respite between the bubble and the start of this most recent nba campaign the whole thing we kept hearing about how tj warren wasn't healthy and then all of a sudden like a week nah, like two weeks before the season started suddenly he was playing in training camp games and all of the fears that you know I have my number one rule is don't 
draft injured players. Don't do it. It doesn't work. Works like 10% of the time. That's a horrible ROI on taking a shot. And usually, even when it works, it doesn't work that well. The examples this season of it working, meaning drafting an injured player, was probably like Kristaps Porzingis, who ended up with a value by totals pretty close to his ADP, like about a round behind. That's, a, that's an example of it working. I can think of, I'm, I'm sure there are others, but the one that sticks in my mind is about five years ago, Russell Westbrook, still in Oklahoma City, was hurt to start the year. There was talk of him missing a month of the season, and then he came back one week into the, into the year. So he was going really late on the news that he wasn't playing to start the season that he was going to miss substantial time, and then all of a sudden he was just back, like three games into the year. That was an example of it, meaning drafting an injured player, working. And it was basically dumb luck. Because if you drafted him, you drafted him thinking he was going to miss four to six weeks. And he came back and won, and you got super-duper lucky. And almost every other example I can think of of a player starting the year hurt has gone miserably, or somewhere in between miserable and only just slightly below meh on the uh, verbal descri- the, the, the qualitative description of how a season went for a guy. Very long digression aside... T.J. Warren is back. There were all the reports of him hating Nate Bjorkren. He shot those down. It doesn't matter anymore because Bjorkren's gone. Carlisle is in. And presumably, T.J. Warren, who's had an entire year, eh, about 10 months, to recover from his surgery, should be good to go, I would think. Foot surgery. There was, there was talk of him even maybe trying to play towards the end of this season, and that was three months ago. Two months from now, I've got to think he'll be ready to rock. So let's turn the page a little bit on last year. And we're not going to do the contractual stuff for the Pacers because, again, they're basically locked into this stuff. We have a couple things to think about. First, on the contractual side, just briefly here, Warren is in the final year of his deal, set to make about $13 million. Jeremy Lamb is in the final year of his deal. He's making about ten and a half mil. And then pretty much everybody else is uh, locked in for another season or more. Demonis Sabonis, there are three seasons left on his deal. Brogdon, Miles Turner, Karis LeVert, they each have two years left on theirs, as does uh, Justin Holiday, who signed, I believe, a three-year deal before this last season. Then the young guys, Goga Batadze, this year in a team option. Aaron Holiday got traded. Edmund Sumner, this is a team option for him. I'm sure they'll exercise that. And if you care about any of the real fringe guys, which you shouldn't, let me just tell you, stop caring about them. This most recent season, without TJ Warren, Miles Turner was the colossal, undisputed mega winner. Not nece- not just be- not because of TJ Warren necessarily, but he was the big winner on the Pacers with the coaching shift this last year. Remember, they were a Nate McMillan team, and then uh, Bjorkren came in and opened things up a little bit, and Miles Turner cut loose to the tune of three and a half blocks per ballgame. He was a first-rounder for about the first 35 games. He slowed a little bit, and then he got seriously injured and missed the final 25 games of the year, and so that 
put a bit of a lid on what was an insanely strong season for him. But he wasn't the only fantasy winner this last year. Demonis Sabonis was number 26 on a per-game basis in nine-category leagues. Malcolm Brogdon was 52. Karis LeVert was 59. TJ McConnell was 70. O'Shea Brissett filling in was number 90 in his 21 games of action. Jeremy Lamb was 106. Justin Holiday was 117. I, I would argue that on a per-game basis, the Pacers were one of the best fantasy teams in basketball. Some of that had to do with the fact that when one guy was missing, another guy was able to step up, and because there were so many high-usage games missed for this team, Brogdon missing 16, Miles Turner 25, Lavert missed 25 games on the year, Sabonis 10, again, TJ Warren 68 games missed, that opened up a lot of looks for other dudes. And that's true. When you have, and it's sort of a similar situation to Bjorkren's previous landing place in Toronto. When you play your starters heavy minutes and they get hurt, there's going to be someone on your bench who can step up and because one guy is hurt basically every game all season long or more, there's going to be an extra guy with fantasy value. On the Pacers this year, I think that was two extra guys. TJ McConnell and probably Justin Holiday, who has a lower ceiling unless like three guys are out in front of him because Holiday, a lot of his value is tied up in steals and threes and you got to take a few more shots if you want to hit your mark in the threes part of that. With McConnell, at least, when he's on the floor, he's orchestrating. His value is tied up in assists and steals and he's going to get those when he plays. It sort of doesn't matter who he's playing with. And they won't play him with the guys that would knock out all of that for him. Karis LeVert, Malcolm Brogdon are the guys that would come in front of him. And Sabonis, to a certain degree, I guess, in the passing pecking order. Those guys are in the first unit. McConnell is the guy that comes in and just gets everybody fired up. And he's basically the point guard. He has to be when he's on the floor. He turns Brogdon into a two guard. Karis LeVert into a three. Those guys become more score E. And then Sabonis, I mean, they're all still going to pass a little bit, but you, I think you catch my meaning. I think the easiest way, and you know me, I want to try to simplify fantasy at every turn. I think the easiest way to try to predict what's going to happen to the Pacers' value this coming year is to start with the big offseason changes and work from there. Big offseason change number one, make Nate Bjorkren gone, Rick Carlisle in. We know from watching Carlisle in Dallas that if you're not a superstar, your minutes are not safe. He's going to yank around starting lineup guys on a game-to-game basis. That's not good for guys like TJ McConnell, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday. Anybody else, Edmund Sumner, but I don't know. We don't need to really go that far down the ladder. There's no way around it. Rick Carlisle does not guarantee playing time or a role. He's a tinkerer. He mixes and matches. We'll find out, I guess, at some point this year how much of that was coming from the Dallas higher-ups and how much of it was coming from Carlisle himself. But I've got to think that it's at least a 50-50 split on that result. So at least 50% of the tinkering was coming from Carlisle, meaning 
that Brogdon's going to get his minutes, Sabonis is going to get his minutes. If Miles Turner is still on the team this coming year, because he's been on the trade block for two years running now, if Miles Turner is still on the team, he'll likely get his minutes as well, just because he's their defensive guy. But uh, and Karis Levert will get his. But beyond those guys, and even to some degree, I think you could probably include Miles Turner a little bit in this. Everyone beyond Brogdon, Sabonis, Levert is in a little bit of danger. And it's a danger scale. Turner is in the least amount of danger. McConnell and Holiday are sort of on like the next tier of danger. And then Jeremy Lamb and everybody else is in hyper danger. What about TJ Warren is the question you should be asking as you heard me go through those players. That's a hard one because we don't really know what kind of shape he's going to be in. He's the other big offseason change. TJ Warren, who had, with Devin Booker, one of the two best bubble performances in Orlando, is likely to be back and likely to be pushing for his minutes again this coming season, which shifts everybody down the ladder a little bit. Not everybody. There's two guys that are bigger than him in the starting lineup right now, but it moves Levert down to the shooting guard spot, which moves Justin Holiday probably out of the starting lineup. So he's most likely not going to have fantasy value this year. And then how many shots are going to be there for Warren? I'm inclined to say that from a usage standpoint, this healthy Pacers team should sort of resemble the Pacers team pre-COVID shutdown last year, which had a, a slightly injured Victor Oladipo, remember? He wasn't back at full tilt. So that now is Karis LeVert in this iteration. And everybody's shots are going to come down a click or two. Two years ago, or two seasons ago, excuse me, two seasons ago, pre-COVID shutdown, T.J. Warren was averaging about 13, 14 shots a game. Sabonis, same region. Brogdon, same region. Turner around 10. Lamb was around 10 before he blew out his leg. Oladipo was at 13 coming back from injury, but that was on the low side. Some of those numbers a little bit inflated. T.J. Warren's in particular inflated because of how he played in the bubble uh, when a couple guys, I believe, sat that out. If you insert Levert in place of Oladipo in that situation and you compare it to what we saw this last year, which was Miles Turner's shots, actually, number of shots per game didn't change that much for Miles season over season. He did shoot about 2% better. And he just was, I think, seemingly a little bit more involved in what was going on out there. And healthy. It's a big deal. His shots probably don't change all that much because he doesn't take that many. Sabonis took about 15 shots a game this year, but was obviously involved in a lot of passing and free throws. Brogdon was at 17 and a half. Levert was at 17. But a bunch of Levert's came, games came with other guys out. Brogdon missed a bunch of time in there. Uh, Turner was already out. Even Sabonis sat out a few games down the stretch for this team. I don't think Brogdon or Levert gets anywhere near 17 shots per game this coming season with, with each of them healthy at the same time and Warren back in the mix. Two seasons ago, Jeremy Lamb got 10 shots per game. That's not happening this coming year either. Doug McDermott 
took 10 shots a game this season. He's gone. So those will get redistributed one apiece, one for everybody. You get a Doug McDermott shot. You get a Doug McDermott shot. And T.J. McConnell doesn't need shots to be effective, which is also good. Although it helps because his field goal percent is one of his positive attributes as a point guard who doesn't shoot. Uh, doesn't shoot. There doesn't need to be more to that sentence. He takes like little six-foot leaners in the key, and that goes well for him. Because no one can deal with his kind of herky-jerk way of getting near to the rim. Anyway, not important. Not the, not the focal point of this uh, particular podcast. We're talking fantasy value. So what does it all mean? Roll it all together. What does it all mean? Well, Miles Turner is uh, likely going to get drafted a bit earlier this coming season than he did last year. Miles was going in the, in the 50 to 70 range, and he showed he's a lot better than that when healthy and getting starters minutes. There's always going to be the, the butting of heads between Miles and Sabonis, who's the center, who's the power forward. Demonis is getting most of the shots on offense. I'm sure Miles is not super thrilled about that. If he gets traded, handicapping Turner becomes a hell of a lot easier. Even still, his fantasy floor is extraordinarily high because he blocks so many shots. His fantasy value, I mean, three and a half shot blocks per game this year, and for a long stretch, he was actually at four. It's almost impossible not to have earth-shatteringly high fantasy value if you're averaging basically five times the fantasy average in one statistical category. Think about what that means in any of the other categories in fantasy. There is literally no one else in the NBA that had as positive an impact in any one category as Miles Turner did in blocks this year. Because no one else does it. And not only does no one else does do it, no one else gets close. Miles Turner was at 3.4. Rudy Gobert was the second best shot blocker in the league at 0.7 lower than that. And you say, ah, 0.7, that doesn't sound like all that much. It's 20%. It's 20%. <laughs> Think about what that means. The gap between first and second place in any of these other statistical categories. Uh, Jimmy Butler led the league in steals per game. TJ McConnell was right behind him at about 10% behind. That was a pretty big deal, by the way. Butler, that was gigantic. Assists. Uh, Russell Westbrook at 11.7. James Harden was at 10.8. Less than 10% behind him. These guys are all big, positive impact dudes. Steph Curry in three-pointers at 5.3 per game. Damian Lillard was about 20% behind him, but because so many people hit three three three-pointers nowadays, it didn't have quite the same positive impact because he was only about three and a half times the fantasy league average in that category. These are the closest you're going to get. Rebounds is, like, that's not even funny because a lot of guys had... 10 or more rebounds this year. Miles Turner was the only player in the NBA to have more than three blocks per game, and only four players in the NBA averaged two or more blocks per game. That is why I preach to you guys on this show, steals, blocks, and the percentages are the new easy way to win Roto. Miles Turner, if you had Miles Turner on your fantasy team, you basically did no worse than like 
fourth place in blocks. That's with him missing 25 games this year. If you had Rudy Gobert on your team, you probably did no worse than about fourth place in blocks because he actually played 71 damn ball games. Why do people hate Miles Turner? Well, because he doesn't do much else. 12.5 points, sub-league average. 1.5 three-pointers, about league average. 6.5 rebounds, about league average. 1 assist, sub-league average. 1 steal, pretty close to it. 47.5% from the field, league average. 78% free throw, league average. 1.4 turnovers, ever so slightly better than league average. But basically, league average. Dude was basically league average in every statistical category and then was the single most impactful positive player in any one category in blocks, and that made him a first-round player. We've talked about it before. A league average player in every category is pretty much top 75. You're keeping the boulder from rolling back on top of your fantasy team, but you're not advancing it forward. Miles Turner did that in eight out of nine categories, and then in one, took the boulder, lifted it over his head, and heaved it on top of the mountain himself. It's crazy. So even if Miles Turner has a down season in anything, if he still blocks two and a half shots per game, he'll still basically be a top 40 guy. That's all it takes. There are four guys, as I mentioned, in the NBA that blocked two shots per game this year. Miles Turner, Rudy Gobert, Nerlens Noel, Clint Capella. The worst ranked among them was Nerlens Noel at number 71 per game in 9-cat. This is a guy who... Scored five points per game this year. Didn't hit a three-pointer the entire season. Had the same number of rebounds as Miles Turner. Fewer assists. Same number of steals. Better field goal percent. Worse free throw percent. Nerlens Noel literally did nothing else besides block shots. And I'd say his field goal percent was a positive impact. But he took three and a half shots per game this year. So it didn't matter. That dude did nothing besides block 2.2 shots per game. You guys know I love me some Nerlens Noel because 3.3 defensive stats. Juicy. Number 71 in that. Doing just that. Clint Capella, 23. Gobert, 21. You want to go farther down the board? Chris Boucher at 1.9 blocks per game. Number 40. You have to get all the way down to Daniel Gafford at 1.4 blocks per game to find your first shot-blocking leaderboard dude who wasn't inside the top 90 on the year. I think he was 14th in the NBA in that category. That doesn't usually happen in the other stuff. Assists is pretty close to that. Because, come on, if you're a high-assist guy, you're a ridiculously high-usage guy, so that's kind of not a fair comparison. Uh, And that's the only one. Because the guys that are great in rebounds generally are uh, horrendous at free throw shooting. You have a bunch of that. Andre Drummond, bad. Mason Plumley, Moses Brown, a little bit farther down the board, some of these rebounding leaderboard guys. It's, it's really remarkable how little else you have to do other than block one and a half shots per game. You block one and a half shots per game, you're inside the top 85. It's just like a guarantee at this point. The Time Lord, Jakob Pertl, Brooke Lopez, Mitchell Robinson. These guys are great examples of, of dudes that didn't exactly blow the roof off the building in the other stuff they were doing this year. But yet, top 85. Therefore, 
I remain quite curious as to where Miles Turner is going to get drafted. I would bet he probably goes closer to top 40 in draft as opposed to the top 55, 60 range because people now saw what he's capable of. I'd still take him in the fourth round. Demonis Sabonis was number 26 this year, and that's a pretty reasonable expectation going forward. I think you'll see his numbers tick back ever so slightly because everyone being healthy is going to pull a little bit of usage away. There's just sort of no way around it. He played 36 minutes a game this year. I don't think Carlisle wants him playing 36 minutes a night. 34.8 last year was perhaps a better target for him. His steals were unseasonably high. That probably comes back down a little bit. Felt like a number that was more of an anomaly than anything else. But he's going to score close to 20 points per game. Give him... Give him 18 and a half, like not this season, but the previous one. Give him 0.8 steals, 0.5 blocks. Give him 12 rebounds, five and some odd assists. And you're talking about a guy who should sit in that 40 range again. We just kind of got lucky on the Sabonis stuff this year because guys were hurt. His usage was up. Uh, his steals were up. And that, by the way, by itself, 1.2 instead of 0.8, that's a really big deal. Change that back to 0.8 by itself. He drops from 26 to about 34. And then a slight usage hit probably drops him back towards 40. So I think he's in that 40 range as well. I think he likely gets drafted near 30 this coming season. And I, so I probably won't have a ton of Demonis Sabonis on my fantasy team. Not because I don't want him there, but just because I think at 30, there are going to be guys that could post per game value in the early 20s. And I don't think Demonis Sabonis can do better than he did this year, at least on a per game basis. This is... Unless free throws magically come around, and this was his best free throw shooting season since his second year in the league, he's a 73% foul shooter. That's just kind of who he is. Unless that magically jumps to 75, this is sort of a best case year for him. I think I would say the same thing about Malcolm Brogdon who himself always kind of comes back to earth a little bit as seasons go along. He excels in a bold and powerful way when the keys are his. When the keys are not his and the assists start to drop off, he actually doesn't, and this is going to sound insane, he doesn't actually have the fantasy profile to support a drop-off in assists. He played 35 minutes a game this year, missed 16 games again, Brogdon, his rookie year, played 75 out of 82 games, basically off the bench. Uh, he started like 25 of them in Milwaukee. Second season, he was hurt, missed 24 games. Third year in Milwaukee, he only missed uh, 18. <laughs> I say only. Uh, last year, he missed 18. This year, he missed 16. So, no. Not drafting him in head-to-head. Probably not drafting him in Roto, because this... There's a little bit of a misconception. Dude scored 21 points per game this last year, which is awesome. Great foul shooter. Pushed 50-40-90 in Milwaukee at times. Not really so much in Indiana as more of a feature guy. But if he's not the dude running the show, his numbers will slip. He is very much a usage-is-value guy because he doesn't get many defensive stats. His field goal percent is middling. His free throw percent is very good. He hits three-pointers, rebounds okay from the point guard spot. That's fine. But again, you take the usage away, you lose 
positive impact in free throws, assists, threes, and points. Four categories. The only thing you actually gain a little bit there is field goal percent, which, again, it's not like it's a massive negative. So you're not wiping out a big negative. You're wiping out a small negative and four strong positives. Those are his four power categories. If he loses anything in those, his value drops like a stone. He was number 52 on a per-game basis in 9-cat this last year. To me, there's almost no way he's inside the top 60 this coming season with a healthy Indiana around him. If, on the other hand, Levert gets hurt, misses a bunch of time, Warren gets hurt, misses a bunch of time again, Sabonis gets hurt, misses a bunch of time, sure, Brogdon could climb inside of that mark. But if you assume that Sabonis misses 10 games, 12 or less, if you assume Warren misses 15 games or less, if you assume Karis Levert misses 10 to 15 games or less... That's just not enough because Brogdon himself is probably going to miss 15 games. That's just where he's at. So probably a little bit overdrafted, as will be Karis LeVert. You guys know that I am a big, uh, I'm a huge fan of his recovery this last season. That was a wonderful story. And he ended up working out for folks that took a chance on him because when he came back, everybody else on the team was cooked. I don't want to use the, the... I know sometimes I say everybody else on the team was dead. Uh, jokingly. I don't want to do that when we're talking about the Pacers because Levert actually was looking at life and death type of stuff with actual... Like, he didn't break a foot. He had a cancerous lump on an important internal organ. That's horrifying. It's awesome that he came back and was such a big factor for Indiana, taking almost 18 shots per game. But, much like Malcolm Brogdon, Karis LeVert is all usage and steals. I'll give him credit. He actually has that leg up on Brogdon. He's all usage, but bad percentages throughout his career. He shot 82% uh, at the free throw line in Indiana. I don't believe that to be something that sticks. He was 77% in Brooklyn before the trade. Uh... 81% on the year overall, which is a solid 10% better than pretty much any season in his relatively brief, but not super brief NBA career so far. 72, 71, 69, 71. His first four seasons in the NBA, and then all of a sudden 81. If he's actually an 81% foul shooter now, my tune on Levert will change. I'm telling you guys this right now. I am reserving the right to flip-flop on him. I just don't believe it. I'm not willing to take the chance that the 81% was the outlier that comes back to 72-73 over an entire season. Because he does get to the line a fair amount, because he does, he is a higher usage guy with two bad percentages, you need to be doing so much in points, threes, boards, assists, steals, blocks to overcome that. There's almost nobody in the NBA that has two bad percentages and is a good fantasy player. The closest high-ranked fantasy guy where neither of their percentages is good, and dare I, dare I say one of them is actually bad, is Luka Doncic. And you guys know what he has to do in the other categories just to make it inside the top 30. Which, by the way, he didn't this year. Luka was number 37, largely because his free throw shooting was crap and his field goal percent was league average. If you want me to get real harsh with it, you got to go way down the board. Find someone who's 
kind of bad in both. Uh, I'd say Lonzo Ball, but actually he kind of fixed his free throw percent this year. Keep going. Keep scrolling down the board. Find someone who's an actual negative in both. It's his brother, actually. LaMelo Ball was a, a pretty good negative in field goal percent and a medium-sized negative in free throw percent. And he was one of the most electrifying players in the NBA. Averaged 16, 6, and 6 with 1.6 steals and two three-pointers, and he was inside the top 75 because of the percentages. Russell Westbrook is the, the big-name example of someone who's bad in both and is still a fantasy value. He was number 77 this year. P.J. Washington, bad in both. He was number 84. It's hard to get inside the top 75 when both of your percentages are bad. And that's why I'm so petrified of giving a recommendation on Karis LeVert. Because throughout his career, he's been bad in both. He's been Russell Westbrook bad in both. Eh, Not quite as bad at the free throw line, I guess. And slightly lower volume there. But he's been an actual... Not like... Not meh in both. Actually a solid negative in both of those categories. And as we just pointed out, if you're a decent negative in both... You have to do the world in the other categories to get inside the top 75. You have to be transcendent, carry your team usage, Luka Doncic level stuff when you're not great in both to get inside the top 40. Karis LeVert's probably going to get drafted inside the top 50 this year. Meh, maybe I should amend that. Let's say top 60 because he had so much on his plate at the end of the season for Indiana. It was Karis LeVert, TJ McConnell, O'Shea Brissett, Edmund Sumner, Justin Holiday. Did I already say Justin Holiday? Uh, Jakar Sampson. Do you remember the lineups these guys were trotting out at the end of the year? Sabonis was out. Turner was out. Brogdon was out. Warren, of course, missed the whole year. So, no, I'm not a believer. He was a fantastic falling into it. Just sort of tripping over fantasy players, tripping over their own feet into a fantastic grab because everyone else on the team got banged up at the same time. That's just not going to be the case to start the year, at least. Maybe it happens partway through. We've talked about how injured these guys are. Karis LeVert is probably a top 75 fantasy player in a pretty damn good case scenario, and I could see it being worse if the usage really does fall off to, like, 14 shots per game instead of 17. That's a big drop-off for someone who generally is only helping you if he's doing a bunch of stuff. The unfortunate part of all of this is that as we work our way down the board, I haven't said any names yet that I think are actually underdrafted. I think Miles Turner's probably accurately drafted. Sabonis, Brogdon, Lavert likely all overdrafted a little bit. But luckily for you guys, I do think there is a duo on this team that ends up underdrafted. I believe TJ Warren... Provided we find out he's healthy, I need to see him actually playing in training camp games and not looking... I mean, he was bulky. <laughs> he was he was chunky this last year. He was not in shape. His foot was messed up. He had plantar fasciitis going into the season, and then he had the, the actual foot surgery when that wasn't figuring itself out. So provided we see TJ Warren in training camp and he looks fit, he could be a massive draft day value. Because I don't think he gets drafted inside the top 95. Maybe outside the top 100? Wow. I mean, it's possible. And then TJ McConnell almost definitely doesn't get drafted inside the top 100. Because he's a guy, again, where you look at this team as healthy and say, what is he actually going to be able to do 
when Brogdon and Lavert are both out there? The answer is less. It'll be less. It will be. But they just re-signed him to a multi-year deal. They love what he brings. Rick Carlisle's going to love him. He's like, fits that perfectly. Hello, new J.J. Barea. You know, undersized point guard who just outguiles everyone on the floor. So much guile with McConnell and so much his hustle is annoying level hustle. Gambles a lot on defense, but that's great. That's good for steals in fantasy. And he's going to get assists. He doesn't need 32 minutes out there. He was number 70 in 26 minutes a game. So even if you dial him back to 24 minutes per game, that's not enough to knock him out of the top 100. He's also durable, which makes him a really nice head-to-head guy if you need to bulk up on assists and steals. He's a bit of a specialist, admittedly. Doesn't score. Doesn't shoot the free throw well, but he doesn't take any. Doesn't rebound very much because he's little. But steals, assists, and a very high field goal percent from a point guard, there's a usefulness to that. So a very long discussion on the Indiana Pacers on today's show, covering the big-name guys, only to tell you probably don't go for the big-name guys, except maybe Miles Turner. And then maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Demonis Sabonis does fall near 40 again. I don't think it's going to happen, but I guess it's a possibility. I just don't expect it. Turner, I think, falls far enough to be a small value on draft day. But to me, it's Warren. Remember, this team is Land of the TJs. No, lo- no longer TJ Leaf. Uh, Land of the TJs. Maybe that'll have to be the Dan Bespris old man squad. We'll just get renamed the Dan Bespris Land of the TJs. Because I think TJ, TJ McConnell's going to be a great head-to-head draft pick at like 115. Less exciting for Roto because there's not a ton of upside there unless somebody gets hurt. That's your upside. And then TJ Warren, to me, he's actually more of a Roto play because there's upside. High percentages guy. Gets a steal, rebounds relatively well, added some three-pointers later here. Not a ton. Very low turnover guy, but he's going to sit some games out. There's almost no question about it. He'll get rest days, and he'll probably rest on games where he's even a little bit dinged up. So a little bit more frightening on the head-to-head side. TJ Warren, like him in Roto. TJ McConnell, like him in head-to-head. The Dan Vespers land of the TJs begins today. Folks, if you're thinking about placing a wager, do it with our buddies over at mybookie.ag. And as I've said before, throughout the fantasy non-draft season, part of the offseason, not only will I open your account for you, I'll do the legwork, I will also make your first real cash deposit, and you can play with that and have some fun with it. Hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, and let's get you wagering today. Also, one week from today, the first pieces of the Hoop Ball Draft Guide will drop. Can you even believe it? But of course, on that same day, one week from today, prices will go up. This week is your last opportunity to lock in last year's prices for this coming NBA season. The Fantasy Pass is just $4.99. The wager pass it has $9.99 or the greatest deal of all, Hoopball 360 at $12.99 a month. That is going up to $19.99 a month. It includes the earliest access to the Brewski 150, way earlier than anybody else on any other of our subscription plans. And you can lock in that $12.99 rate forever. 
All you have to do is stay on it. If you're already on one of these things, just stay on it. Don't do anything. And if you're thinking about getting in on the Fantasy Pass, do it now. If you're thinking about getting in on the Wager Pass, that price is going up as well. Do it now. And then leave it on. Because as long as you leave your subscription active, HoopBall will never raise your rate. Never. If you turn it off and turn it back on, you get back in at the new higher price. The HoopBall loyalty program could also just be called the HoopBall Leave It On program. Get your subscription, don't mess with it, and you keep the low, low price forever. I'll tell you what, five years from now, you'll be so thankful that you did that. You'll have saved so much money over new people getting in on whatever new cool stuff. And this coming season, you'll have one year limited time access to HoopBall Plus. That's our beta tools. We'll be rolling out this year for the first time as well. So check out all of that at hoop-ball.com. Click on the premium tab. Again, you can sign up now, get last year's prices, leave it on, keep them forever. Have a great Monday, everybody. I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today and HoopBall. Talk to you tomorrow. Eastern. Hey, we're going east. The Atlantic Division starts tomorrow. This has been a HoopBall presentation.